You're listening to Ink Studs on CITR 101.9 FM. My guest this week is Ryan Sands. Ryan is uh, no stranger to Ink Studs. He was on the one time that I wasn't actually the host when uh, Deb O.K. did a special with Ryan and uh, Christopher Butcher and is it David Azumuri? Who's the last person with you guys? Oh, um, I can't remember off the top of my head. It was uh, someone whose blog I read regularly. <laughs> <laughs> Where the uh, four of you discussed uh, alternative styles of manga that folks that listen to Ink Studs would be into, and I appreciated that. Um, Ryan's current work that he is in the middle of stapling and folding is Volume 3 of the Fantastic Thickness Anthology, as well as the Lady Gaga zine, uh, Prison for Bitches, uh, the um, Electric Ant uh books uh kus volume <laughs> was it number nine yep number nine and uh what else am i forgetting who knows some manga translations some other weird stuff <laughs> <laughs> you're a busy kid yeah i i idle hands on the devil's playground you know <laughs> <laughs> so thickness has kind of uh grabbed everyone's uh hearts and whatever else by storm Um, yeah the low but before we jump into that i kind of want to know more about you as a i guess comic geek comic fandom um you've been writing about manga for quite some time and i'm curious like what your kind of entrance it was into it oh totally um i was like a kind of typical marvel comics nerd for all of junior high high school um Amazing Spider-Man was my main jam, but I had a, a, a intense image phase. Uh, I didn't really read many alternative comics till college, but um, once I got out to college, I kind of in, in indirectly hooked up with a lot of the indie comics uh, scene. Um, my roommate's best friend was the cartoonist and video game designer Derek Yu, who was best buds with Helen Joe. And so I sort of just started hanging out at parties with those guys and kind of got reintroduced to minis, indie comics, zines. Um, I had my fateful first uh, visit to uh, some of the East Bay uh, comic shops, and that was sort of how I got back into comics. But my, my main like my main manga thing happened, well, when I was in high school, I saw Akira, and it changed my life, <laughs> like everybody my age, I think, who's a big nerd. Uh, so I was, I was an anime geek for... Luckily, it ended by the end of high school. But um, I read a lot of manga, and I started. The main thing for me, I, I, I've talked to other people who are have similar overlaps with manga and indie comics, and it was that magazine Pulp um, that Viz published. They sort of the background on that was like they got all this mad money from Pokemon, and uh, yeah, I think it was just Pokemon and some other of those sort of kid-friendly mega hits. And they took uh, some cool people at. Um, at Viz took that money and started publishing really weird indie comics and pulp. So pulp was one of those things like I'd go up to the college town, you know, 45 minutes away from my house and pick up like the new issue of Bone, look at magic cards, and then I saw pulp. And so that that was how I started getting into manga. And a lot of the really formative stuff that it has a lot of crossover with indie comics, but that was when I first kind of learned about indie weird manga stuff. Um, there were horror comics. There was Shintaro Kago, um, just a lot of weird, really fun genre-bending stuff. So that that was my first take. And then when I was in college, I went um, 
I lived in Japan a few times. I did exchange programs, and I actually studied and worked in Kyoto and Osaka. So at the corner store, I would just pick up weird magazines about like, this is a magazine about like Malaysian prostitutes, and this is a magazine about ramen and knives, like just weird shit that they have in Japan. And so some of the stuff I picked up was um, corner store manga. So when I, like, long story short, when I got back from college. Um, my bu- my best friend Evan and I were talking about starting a blog. This is way back in 2005, and we thought, oh hey, let's just like translate some of these weird ass comics. Um, I was looking for an excuse to keep up on Japanese, and we wanted to have some projects to work on. So that's when we started Same Hat, and the whole idea of that was just to blog about these people that you know now have a lot of I think cult following on the internet, but at the time like nobody really was talking about a lot of these cartoonists. So we just started doing fan translations, uh, putting comics you know, questionably, like, their legal status, but we basically would find comics that no one else was ever going to license and no one had really heard of in the States, and we would slap on either, first we started doing just text translations, and then we'd actually throw the lettering on, and then I started writing longer articles, and that, that was kind of how that whole thing started. I think that's fairly typical, starting with Marvel and ending up with, like, avant-garde, upside-down, multi-headed, naked people, I don't know. <laughs> Well, I was looking at the uh, Electric Amp books, and one thing I noticed uh, in the first one is, like, within the first page, you uh, they say the zine pays homage to Philip K. Dick and uh, Suhiro Maru. Oh, yeah, Maru. Maru. Um, <clears throat> which is a pretty bold statement uh, with Maru. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was... I, I really wanted... Well, in college, I really wanted to do a zine. Like, I... When I was in high school, I was uh, I was into a lot of weird stuff, like most kids who live in like the Midwest and don't have much of an outlet, and there wasn't really much of an internet, like per se. So I just read Giant Robot magazine all the time, and I also was really into Riot Girl <laughs> uh, music. And so I, the first time I saw zines was mostly like feminist and Riot Girl zines, like um, Kathleen Hanna's like early zines or even like weird pop bands that were on the Beastie Boys little label that they had called Grand Royal. Like I would yeah. just be at those same stores where I'd find Bone and Dungeons and Dragons and Magic Cards and they'd have these weird Xerox zines. So I really was into zines but I didn't know how you made one. Like I just didn't get like how, like I figured you had to be in a band or like have something to say. So actually during college my friend Derek and another friend Oliver and Helen, we, we would go to Ape and hang out. And I remember that those two of my buddies made this zine called Erotic Reimaginings. <laughs> and it was all it was all reimagined historical comics like Hitler and Goebbels like sucking each other's nipples and stuff. And I just remember that they made the Xerox, they just made it in one day, and then they photocopied it, like at the comic shop near our, our college. Or I mean at the Kinko's near our college. And they gave Johnny Ryan and Dan Klaus copies of it. <laughs> like much to their shock and I just remember being like whoa you can just like make a zine that's so crazy so when I was in college I wanted to do a zine all about first kisses and that was how the first electric ant started like it's really just uh and when I look back at it now it's like sort of cringeworthy but I kind of love it but it's literally just like this is everything I'm into right now it's like a paper tumbler <laughs> <laughs> well what year was it when it came out because I, I couldn't see anything in there that actually gave it a date Oh yeah, it came out in um, I think it was uh, oh like oh seven probably something like that. It's a couple of years after I, I graduated in oh four, so it was a couple of years after school. I, I think it was oh seven or oh eight. And looking at the book, I mean, you were kind of ahead of the curve on a lot of folks that even have in the book. Um, like I think DeForge was probably like what fifteen at this point. <laughs> he was he had just been born. 
think he was like I think he was like 19 probably or 20. Five years ago? Yeah, it's um, yeah, something like that. That sounds. He would have right. been younger. Yeah, maybe he was 19. I I I will say like the book is a mess. Uh, it has a lot of weird essays that I wrote. Like I, I had a lot of fun with it, but if I've done like anything worthwhile, is like I've just been able to latch on to some cool people. But <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> but yeah, DeForge, I met him really early. That kid's been that. Well, he's a he's a dude now. He's one of my best friends. But he um, he's like, I think. All, a lot of these friendships in the zine came out of like the last gasp of when you could like meet people on image boards and on live journal and actually have it like be meaningful. <laughs> yeah. I feel like we're like other people have spoken more eloquently about this too, but like live journal was a super important like way to keep in touch and I used to go and kind of hunt around on indie video game sites and on um, art sites. And um, I just remember crossing paths with Michael yeah, in the early days of, or at the very the last gasp of all that stuff, right? I think now, like, there's Facebook, right? But there isn't really that sense of online community in the same way where, like, it actually meant something. <laughs> like, you'd see you'd see someone with an Akira t-shirt. You know, this is back when I was in ninth grade, but it's like, oh, my God, he knows that movie? We have to be best friends. Whereas now, like, I don't know. I don't look, if, if you happen to like the same movie I like, that doesn't indicate anything about if we'll be friends, you know? <laughs> um, I remember... I was kind of an older person for using LiveJournal, but it felt interesting the way you could kind of engage. Like, I look at Tumblr now, which kind of uses some of it, but mostly it's just like, look at this picture, this gif of a cat uh, under a tap, and um, there's no real kind of connection to folks. Totally, yeah. Nice. Yeah, I think I think like a lot of the people are in Electric Ann and like that. It's I I, I don't. It's a magazine and a zine, and I think we're, I'm going to do a third one after all this thickness stuff dies off. But um, I think of it more as like a peer group or a crew than like as an actual physical magazine. And I think people. I'm 29 for another couple of days, and uh, yeah, I think we're like the last generation before like the Tumblr generation, which is like lorded over by like people like Mario Domo and uh, <laughs> all the all the upstarts of, <laughs> who I'll like praise Mario. Well, yeah, he's the king of Tumblr, man. I love that kid. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> but I definitely like. I mean, and I don't mean this in a bad way whatsoever. But I definitely feel for the first time like I finally feel the generation gap a little bit. Like, yeah. uh, like I went and saw that band Anamanaguchi. They're like an eight bit. Nintendo rock band and like they were dressed up as characters from Adventure Time which is awesome and everyone in the crowd was like 21 and I was like holy shit and they were playing GIF animations by lol internet on the back wall love but I was like yep. holy shit dude it's like Tumblr has come to life and I am old <laughs> <laughs> but it's kind of exciting I don't I don't I think it's awesome so it, it, it's really neat like I see saw extreme animals a couple of times and you i can kind of see like how they're kind of like kind of a previous generation of that stuff of that like internet mashup and it's uh it's it's really fascinating to see where where it's going and i have no idea where it's going to end up yeah totally i keep hearing like murmurings about new like comic book apps or indie like itunes for indie comics and i just hear a lot of people are thinking about how to I mean, we don't have to turn this into one of those boring talks about like the internet and <laughs> modes of distribution because 
that conversation's been had and it's it can get kind of boring but it's on people's minds for sure so. well they, i mean on that note the interesting thing that folks are really grabbing to with the thickness um is the fact that it is such an object um totally for folks that haven't seen it uh, why don't you tell them about like why this is something like this instead of just a bunch of images on a tumblr Oh, totally. Yeah. Well, for me, I mean, for me personally, it's kind of like a. Well, my my day job is I, I work at a tech company, um, like a lot of people in the Bay Area. So like, all my stuff that I do from like nine to six thirty every day is like, internet, uh, in front of a computer. I mean, that's typical of everybody. But like, my job is that like, well, I I work at YouTube now, so like, I'm just literally like on in the belly of the beast constantly. So, for me, like the whole. It was uh, important to me to have like an outlet <laughs> for crafts and using my hands and messing with that. So for thickness, like last year, I think I, I got really interested in risograph printing. Um, and all of a sudden, like everybody, it's totally blown up in the last, this is not because of me, but it has totally blown up in the last two years. And the production values of like just minis, like what would usually be like a black and white Kinko's photocopy thing it's amazing now like there's so many people using these machines but basically they're like high volume screen printing machines but um the the cost of printing is really cheap and you can do spot colors so for uh, for mine i have um i have a machine at a little office in my neighborhood and it i have a nine or ten different colored drums it's like a very similar to mimeograph technology so you can basically really quickly print um one two three color books um in high volume so for us, like for, for Michael and I, uh, when we decided to do thickness, um, the idea was to do a series of books with just a handful of contributors doing long form stories. And we wanted to present each of the stories in a different color was the original idea. And that's sort of coming from the way that manga magazines in Japan are printed, where each section of the book is in a different color. We thought, oh, hey, that'd be really like interesting. So we did that for the first one. With the second one, this is insane. I don't. I, every time I have to reprint, I'm like, what was I thinking? But each comic in the book is done in two different colors. So that mean, and I and I print them all myself uh, by hand on the machine. So the book itself ends up with this really kind of vibrant and grungy look. Uh, the ink can smear if you lick your thumb and wipe it across any of the pages. The ink will smear occasionally. There's uh, a teardrop from me in the middle of the night or uh, a strange purple thumbprint and the thing I really liked about the first issue this was not on purpose but the first issue has a white cover and it's printed primarily in purple purples and blues so as you're reading your copy over time of this like you know kind of dingy porno comic um, thumbprints start to accumulate on the pages so by the end of it it really looks really like uh, kind of filthy which I, I like <laughs> So it sort of evolves. Over. Like you go to someone, I've gone to a friend's house and they have a copy, you know, in their bathroom or like, you know, just on their, on their living room table and it's got all these nasty purple thumbprints on it. I'm like, oh, somebody likes Johnny Negron. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I like that it, it leaves a mark on you as well. <laughs> um. but, uh, but for this last book, the third issue, it's, um, it's, uh, this is going to be the last issue we decided, and it's 80 pages. So I think, and I think it's um, how many stories do we have? One, two, three, four, like six stories. Um, each one's in two colors, and 
I'm doing a bigger print run this time. So like in terms of actual hours, yeah, you're right. This is uh, day two of a six day print session. And I think, I think I did the math and it's something like um, 78 hours of nonstop printing with no breaks in order to like physically get the paper through the machine and dry in time to get it done. So it's very, uh, Jesus, it's very time consuming, but I, I think it's worth it. It's pretty fun. And the cool thing about it is like, page to page, just like screen printing, like the registration gets screwed up and like images jump around. So like some of the copies, the it looks really tight and all the colors are spot on. And then, you know, some of them like the dude's hair is like half an inch off of his head. And <laughs> so I, I, I like I like that level of like, I like how screwed up it gets along the way. I think it's part of the appeal. Like the comics are great comics. They're, they're amazing work. Like, I mean, and they're by far the main appeal of the book, but like this speaks to what I like more than, you know, a PDF download or, you know, something kind of flash thing hosted on a website. It's really like the thickness especially has really grabbed a lot of folks attention. I remember um, Sammy Harkham on our rant of tweets basically calling you publisher of the year because of it. I don't know if you saw that. Uh, someone forwarded that to me and I was very flattered. <laughs> and he's a man that doesn't dole out uh, compliments uh, very often, if not the opposite. Um, what do you think it is about this particular book that's really grabbing people's attention? Um, yeah, I don't, I'm not quite sure. Like the original, I actually, before we got on the horn, I pulled up the emails to try to figure out like, why did we do this? Because um, it was a, it's a collaboration between M Michael DeForge and I. We, we did the Lady Gaga fanzine on a whim in uh, 2010. I think like five weeks before TCAF, the telephone video came out and we were like emailing each other like, dude, did you see this thing? She's wearing like a jism patch on her like leather jacket. Like, oh dude, did you see this? <laughs> and we were like, there should really be a Lady Gaga fanzine. That would be awesome. And make it in the style of like, yeah, like a Riot Girl zine or something like from the late 90s. So we put that whole book together. People, it was just one of those moments where people wanted to, Hopefully, much like your Gossip Girl, forthcoming Gossip Girl zine, like, you <laughs> just tap the zeitgeist, man. You're like, yo, like something exploded. So we, we did that book really quickly. And the main thing about that was, um, I'm sure anyone who's in indie comics knows this feeling, but like doing a zine with somebody or with friends, like that is how you become friends. So like um, that was sort of like our, through like countless email exchanges and arguing about the cover and that was like how Michael and I became buddies. And so we knew we wanted to do another book together. But for Thickness, I think it literally was like, and looking back on the old emails, it was, we had a couple friends and we were like, you know, it'd be awesome if they drew something really dirty. <laughs> and it was like, we should make Angie Wang draw porno comics. That would be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> or like, we should try to get Helen Joe to draw like sexy comics. Wouldn't that be crazy? And so the idea originally was to do a short series that had a, a theme of sorts and just focus on shorter stories with less artists, like as opposed to doing a, one of those anthologies where there's just one page, one page, one page. Yeah. So in my original email, I think the, you know, the list of people that we had in mind are a lot of the people who ended up in the book. Um, there was just a moment where we were talking about the kind of comics that we like and we were talking about Derek Ballard. Um, Johnny Negron had just started blowing up on Tumblr and I had just met him on email and then um, some of the comics that Lamar was doing and uh, people like Angie Wang so the original I think we spec'd out the first three issues way back then and just sort of went from there in terms of like why people are into it I don't know I think people are just horny and like uh, this has been talked about as well but like 
a lot of the indie comics that I like now are genre based and the ones I like most are not not ironically you know like I think a lot of the stuff on study group and Elf World and um, the Morning Star by uh, Kaz like th- these are some of my favorite comics right now and they're yeah. very like drenched in uh, unironic familiarity with genre tropes and that sort of story but like really the only genre that is okay when you say genre quote unquote is you know adventure D&D science fiction melodrama romance and definitely porno are like not at least at the time when we started in 2010 like just didn't feel very explored other than a few anthologies and there there have been some really great anthologies like true porn and a few others that um but their tact was usually like true confessional stories i mean not to reduce them too much but that was a lot of the take what we wanted to do was like kind of weirdo stories by some of our favorite known and unknown indie comics people but like just give people permission to do something sexy so we never said like draw a porno this is a porno zine we said like this is erotic an erotic anthology so that can mean whatever you want it to mean erotica we, yeah maybe <laughs> so and um, when we put it together there i mean you, you might not be able to tell but and so we, not to overstate it too much but we definitely like had an idea with each of the three issues with like the makeup of the collection so um, different sexual orientations, men and women, um, different kinds of stories, some like slice of life, some science fiction, some like really heavy stuff. So we tried to be, we kind of just wanted to put together like, what if you gave Angie Wang permission to draw like something really dirty? Not even permission, like an excuse. I think that's what a lot of people who joined up like were looking for. Uh, people like Lisa Hannawall and people like that. Like they. They draw all kinds of stuff, but it's nice to really give someone a task, like make it sexy, just do it. Yeah. You can do whatever you want. That's literally what we said. So, and I know, like for some folks, for like Brandon Graham, like he gave him a chance to do a comic he'd wanted to do, or explore something he wanted to do. Yeah, he. Um, there, I mean, everyone in the books is. There are only people in the books that we are massive fans of, so it's a combination of like our friends that we admire and people that we just like never thought would ever possibly ever possibly be able to work with us. And Brandon was one of them. I think I think we were drunk at TCAF and you like pushed us to ask Brandon. We're like, do you think he would say yes? Oh my god, do you think he would say yes? <laughs> um, and we were so flattered that he would, and he just totally slammed it with his um, dirty pair manga dirty parody. parody. Dirty pair. <laughs> That that's that comic. You have to read that thing a few times. It's like a. It's got like ninety-seven puns per page. It's out of control. I don't know if you've read Orkstein and if, like how many penises there are per page. And yeah, 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 yeah. This is this is like how many puns per page. And then another another I mean another person like that was um that we were just sort of kind of shocked that they were interested in being a part of it was uh, Jillian Tamaki. She's a she's a friend of mine, but um we didn't know her super well when we asked her and I sent her one of the notes that's like I know you get tons of emails from like idiotic art students who want you to like do stuff with them and I know you get tons of email from people who can like barely pay you to like give you free work but like if you would consider for a moment please here's who's in the book we would absolutely love to and she was like okay sure yeah <laughs> so we're, uh, we're really flattered by like the people who've uh, been a part of it it's just been really goofy and fun for us so we're um, we're trying to go out with a bang in this third one. I don't want to say goofy though, because like I gotta say, and I've been saying this a lot, um, to Forge's story is one of the stories of the year. Which story? The College Girl by Night. Yes, I I strongly agree. I think that's 
one of Michael's strongest pieces. I mean, he's in a, he he is like the Dan class of our generation. Like, he's been kind of tearing it up lately. But um, yeah, that story really surprised me. Um, it's very, yeah, it's just great. It's very deep, it's thoughtful. It works on a lot of levels. It asks a lot of strange questions about gender and sexuality and gets at some interesting stuff just in like eleven pages, which I was totally blown away by. So the new one, tell me about it. Thickness three. It has nudity in it. Um, uh, thickness, <laughs> thickness three. Like we 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 didn't really have a theme for it, but we had some people that we really. I think originally we we had said early on that we wanted to get um, Lamar and Edie in as sort of the two tempo scores. I'm sorry, yeah, uh, Lamar Abrams and Edie Fake, um, <clears throat> and just thematically, like Lamar's stuff is so hilarious like he has such a crazy sense of comic timing but you know and also you can tell in his comic like it's flirty and fun but when you look at his uh i think the reason we thought of him was he has this one flicker cartoon he did about it's a four panel about him riding his bike no him in his car and he sees a girl go by on her bike and her nipple slips out of her shirt and he's and the whole comic is basically about how that made his week. <laughs> and we were like, oh, I think Lam and Lamar draws a lot of girls with big butts on his Tumblr and his Flickr. We were like, Lamar, I think we should give him an excuse to like do a piece for us. So uh, we knew that Lamar would be like a really important person to like add a lot of like levity and like sexy fun to it. Uh, Edie, we knew for a long time that we wanted Edie to do the cover and be the main story. Um, and Edie's piece is really intense and awesome. Um, uh, most of the comics in the book are 10 pages, but he, he did a 17-pager that uh, is right in the middle of the book. Wow. And then for the other pieces, we have I can talk a little bit about each one, I guess. We have um, <clears throat> we have a piece by um, uh, Jimmy Bollier from Montreal. He's a French. Oh, yeah, Bollier. That's right. I'm so bad with French. I actually emailed him. I was like, how do I say your name? I'm terrible at French. <laughs> um, <course>. Yeah. <laughs> You're Canadian, though. You don't have an excuse. <laughs> He um he he did a ten page uh, or a twelve page comic called uh, Protest Exploitation, and he literally just did it in the last two weeks. And um, uh, his his comics are very uh, often don't have panels. There are a lot of watercolor effects and just like beautiful slice of life, sexy stories about people kind of collapsing onto couches and a lot of girls like scissoring and kissing each other and just really romantic, sexy stuff. So the piece he did is in that vein, although it takes place right now, during, uh, and this, the backdrop for the story is the Montreal student protests that are happening and that he's participating in. So um, it's a really sexy little story that takes place within one apartment, but um, the backdrop for it is the protest movement that's happening right now in Montreal. So I think, I think people are going to get a kick out of that. Um, another person that was on our radar for a long time was uh, Julia Griffer. I don't know. She has a German last name. We pick all these people with interesting Ruffer, last names. yeah. Gruffer, yeah. Julia from um, the Pacific Northwest, who has done a lot of her stuff. I find really like challenging and troubling. I don't know. Do you? What do you? Have you interviewed her or talked to her? I haven't interviewed her, but I've read a lot of her stuff, and uh, it's fantastic. It's dark. It's, yeah. It's mysterious. It's sexy. It's rough. Um, it's yeah, really amazing work. Yeah, we, I read um, I read Flesh and Bone, and then I read uh, her most recent, um, the Too Too Dark to See, uh, and it really beat me up. You know, like emotionally, I was like, man, this is rugged. Like in a good way. Like those uh, the story she's weaving with, and 
and I think in such a short page count too, to see someone who can really take you somewhere emotionally so quickly uh, um, in a short page count. So she was on our list for a while of someone we wanted to. And then actually um, when Thickness 2 came out, I got an email from Dylan Williams. And I've told her this story. I haven't told many people, but um, there's not much to it. But I, I knew Dylan um, and admired Dylan, uh, mostly as Helen's Helen Joe's publisher. But I, you know, I saw him at shows, and I considered him, uh, you know, an acquaintance friend. And he, uh, unprovoked out of nowhere, just had emailed me and said, like, you should really consider Julia for the next thickness. She would be perfect. And kind of a light bulb went off when he emailed me. I was like, oh shit, totally. Yeah, we should. But that I. I we wanted to have Julia in the book, and then to know that it sort of ties back to my last interaction with with Dylan, and and sort of the way that he always advocated for his artists, and I think in this really selfless, amazing way, um, it felt really good to have that sort of lumped into the last issue of Thickness. So Julia did a piece called The Chasm, which is kind of Victorian and psychedelic and really cool. And then um, we have another story called The Cockroach. Uh, by uh, it's a, the only collaboration I think we've had in the book. It's by William Cardini and Sean T. Collins. Um, Sean is a friend of ours and writes a lot of pieces. And he he like um, has been doing a lot of uh, these subtly and not so subtly sexy comics with different collaborators. And um, William's uh, William Cardini's style was, I guess, fusiony. It's very like psychedelic and interesting and kind of goofy in a way that I really like. So um, we we had talked to them about doing a piece for us. So um, their piece is mirrors, um, Jimmy's, in that it's a slice of life between a couple and an apartment, but it has sort of a kind of hilarious, grotesque Kafka thing happening underneath it. So uh, that one, I think people are really going to dig. Um, and then the last one is gay bear manga. <laughs> <laughs> it's a... Uh, this had been a dream of ours for a long time, and we, it was one of those things like, you know, it'd be really cool. Yeah, let's do that. But I never thought it would happen. But we were able to license a comic by Gengaro Tagame. Um, we worked with him directly over email, and uh, it'll be his first ever English release. So for for people who don't know his stuff, um, which you may not, unless you're into like bear, gay, erotic art. <laughs> Uh, manga. <laughs> and manga, yeah. He is um, basically like one of the main dudes in the erotic art scene in Japan. He does manga and also art books and pinups. He's kind of like, I mean, without simplifying too much, he's sort of like Tomo Finland of Japan. He's one of a few people. But and I had bears. first heard about, for bears though, yes, specifically for bears. <laughs> and I had heard about him through our friend uh, Chris Butcher uh, of TCAF and the Beguiling fame. Uh, well, I think I I don't know his proclivities much, but yeah, I think that dude is into bears in some he sense. He does like to tweet about bears. Yes, right. Um, and he's uh, he had written this long post and kind of told us, it kind of turned people onto this guy's art and who he was. So um, when we were thinking about, like, <clears throat> basically Michael and I said, like, we want someone who's as into dudes as Johnny Negron is into big ladies.
Welcome back. You're listening to Ink Studs. I am talking to Ryan Sands. We were just talking about bears and thickness and <laughs> plenty of other uh, lovely conversations. Um, so tell us a little bit more about this story. What was his name again, the creator? Uh, his name is Gengaro Tagami. Um, yeah, so I, I just I have to actually happen to have a friend who um, was in Japan working on a, a book project. Um, and she had a friend who knew a friend who knew him personally. So I kind of just thought, oh, I'll just shoot for the moon and see if we can get in touch with him. Got an introduction through the very generous help of a friend, and uh, he was into it. The thing about a lot of these manga people, uh, manga artists, is that they really actually are desperate to be known to English-speaking audiences. They just have never had an opportunity. And I think for Tagame, like, and other people, like, no publisher yet has um, had the guts really to go for it or, or doesn't see the market there but um, Tagame he has an English website um, he blogs and tweets in English and he has a lot of English fans actually but they're not like indie comics people they're not even manga people usually they're generally like people who are into gay art and I think he's pretty known in a lot of like gay art magazines and in the gay, and just gay media but um, outside of that like nobody no, no, no indie comics people know him, but I think they would dig his stuff. So his is the last piece in the last issue of Thickness, and it's insane. <laughs> it's, um, it's really dirty. <laughs> it's kind of, it's kind of, like, I can't, like, issue one, oh, it's pretty dirty. Johnny Negron stuff, which we, we can talk about Johnny some more after, perhaps, but, like, that piece is pretty sexy, very dirty. Issue two is kind of, like, cerebral, and this is straight up, like, filthy <laughs> if my mother sees it I will be ashamed but um, it's also really amazing and the, the nice thing about this issue or this this piece is um, it's called Standing Ovations and actually Michael DeForge's hand lettering the entire story so Michael we're not doing a font or anything like that like Michael's hand lettering all the sound effects and the entire the entire st story so it's like a hardcore gay bear manga with Michael DeForge the Michael the Forge lettering you've come to know and love. <laughs> <laughs> From the uh, the talent of Rescue Pet and uh, Ant. <laughs> As known on Adventure Time. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's so, why um, we know him. Yeah, so I think it'll be... Um, and then the very last thing is we have a, a, a mini, actually, that we're putting with the book. So it's 80 pages plus a mini in the back. And the mini is 16 pages of these kind of psychedelic really interesting minis that um, Andy Burkholder started posting about a year and a half ago. He started posting them under a pseudonym and it was just on a blog. It was, it's um, quiet qviet.tumblr.com and there's tons of strips there. He was putting out like one every day I think or almost every other day and they're, real, they're one pagers usually between four and twelve panels and just like really like weird like um Experimental. They almost seem like experimental film. They just have slight like moments and panels and jokes and beats, um, and we we thought they were perfect for this last issue. So um, we decided to do a separate mini just of those in the back of the book that'll be bundled together. So um, yeah, I'm I'm pretty stoked. Like I feel all I did was put it together and print the thing, but uh, everyone really delivered amazing work. And I think the mix of stories should be really interesting. Like I'm sort of stoked for the like. Like, I think the person who's into Tagame will also dig, like, Edie's comic. The person who's into Jimmy's stuff might, like, 
drop their like teacup when they see <laughs> the like the last couple pages of Tagami's. And then um, I, I just think it'll be an interesting <laughs> mix if we can get people who are fans of the individual artists to check out the things around it. I think people will see some weird parallels, hopefully, in the book. It's uh, that it's not just a weird hodgepodge of nasty comics. Huh? One of the people I'm most excited, and you mentioned him earlier, uh, is uh, Edie Fake, whose book um, Gaylord Phoenix is probably one of the most challenging uh, works on sexuality recently. Um, challenging in that, like, it really it's so artfully done, um, and it's not an easy book. Like, he really puts it out there, and you kind of have to spend time digesting it to really get across the ideas and I'm curious like is it going to be similar work from Edie or is what what can we expect yeah totally I agree with everything you said like um about Gaylord Phoenix is one of those books that I, I keep picking up planning to just like look at a panel or two just because technically it's so beautiful and then I like kind of like put my hand on my chin and sit on my thumb and just kind of go through the whole experience again um so uh, Edie's work this time, it, it's not as, uh, the scope of it's a lot smaller in, in a way that I think is really cool. Um, uh, it's, it's nice to give an opportunity for people to tell smaller stories. So uh, Edie's story this time uh, is called Nightcrawlers. And it basically is, uh, I think it's 17 pages about two, on its surface it's basically two people meeting on a beach, like by a boardwalk. <laughs> and then having sex but um it has a lot of uh it does have very interesting and strange like the characters are sort of intersexual androgynous characters um a pursuer and a pursuee i suppose um and it, it but it, <clears throat> it sort of hits this crescendo as it as it nears the climax quote unquote uh where it um it plays a lot with uh, genitalia, interactions, and sort of um, consumption, I guess, the the way in which, like, uh, sexual relations enter and consume each other. And I think a lot of that um, is right in Edie's wheelhouse. And um, it's a super beautiful piece. We're printing, we tried a few color combos, but we're printing this one. Um, the flats are, the colors and backgrounds are all in gold, and then the lines are in purple. Oh, wow. So um, it has a really, it's very like intoxicating and sort of mesmerizing. And it's kind of creepy too. It has a lot of uh, slugs. And it's regal. It's regal. Yes, it's Purple very regal. gold. Exactly. Totally, totally. Um, so um, yeah, I, I, it's, uh, it's a smaller story, but in the same style. I, I think it's really interesting. You could read it just as like a sexy romp, but it, <laughs> it, it, has, a, it has some creepy like, Cronenbergian uh, underpinnings to it, I think, which I totally dig. Now, do you yourself have any interest in doing comics at any point, like actually writing or drawing? Oh, um, I have written some comics that I haven't shown anyone. Um, I wrote one called High School Hospital, which is about my time volunteering at my local hospital in like my podunk town in Michigan. But um, no, actually, not really. Um, I know... I have such talented uh, friends, <laughs> uh, and, and I've sit, I've sat with them and watched them create their work. So I'm, if I have any, 
I see myself as an Ankoyama more than like a, a creator. Like yeah. if I have any value to add, um, hopefully it'll be in uh, publishing and pushing people and giving people an opportunity and space to actually put out interesting work. Like it's maybe this is uncouth to talk about, but like we actually started uh, paying people um, with thickness of oh, electrocant too, I think. And we don't pay much. I don't mean to like pat ourselves on the back, but like we have some sort of principles, I guess, about like, people should be rewarded for their work. People should be incentivized to like have a space to not just like sketch, but you know, before people are like ready to have, or, or as a side project mm -hmm. or a different outlet for like say an erotic story that maybe like Fanographics doesn't want to publish. But for us, it's like really important to like create a, create an experience and like a, a book or a object that really like encapsulates like a peer group, a moment, a friendship, a, it sounds corny when I say it that way, but like I, I think that's if there's any value that I have to add, it's like in um, getting like Michael DeForge to letter Gay Bear manga, or like get Johnny Negron and Michael to like collaborate on a shirt, or introduce like if I have any value, it's uh, it's in the editing and publishing thing. So that, that's not really like a role that um, is much hallowed, <laughs> uh, but I, I I find it really. Like I, I like that side of things. Um, so if I if I can grow up to be like Ankoyama or or another one of those like um, lovely people who help cool work keep coming out, then that that's that's the pretty much the extent of my aspirations. I think uh, the payment thing though is you kind of hit the nail on the head. There is is one of the most important things folks can do for cartoonists creating work is because like I've heard horror stories of like decent sized publishers that just yeah. don't do that and <clears throat> it's it's quite unfortunate I mean yeah I think if you have any sort I mean anyone who has friends who do creative work um, a lot of my friends are writers um, some write nonfiction as well and a, you know, a ton of all I'm, I'm sure anyone listening to like a lot our cartoonists or our friends who are cartoonists and like the <laughs> the things that I've heard said to them that just sort of so undervalue the work that they're creating is just like mind-bogglingly insulting and kind of sad like I, I've said to Michael and I talk about these things all the time about like the scene and the industry quote-unquote whatever that means but um, you know we've gotten a lot of nice feedback from people because we actually pay and we pay on time or at least I try to like um, our thing is like we can't pay much but we try to pay you within like 48 hours of you turning in your pages and like yeah it's really hilarious to me that people are like that's so great like I can't believe you and it's like do you know how much this this work is worth so much more than like uh, if you look at it in terms of like an hourly job but um it's a sad it's a sad thing that like the bar is so low that like if you pay people a modest amount and give them free copies of the book or let them buy it at wholesale and sell it on their own site like that means like you're one of like the you're doing a really good job it's kind of sad but um so, so just in our small way i mean like our books are all self-published self-funded we haven't done a kickstarter or anything because i have sort of weird feelings about that way of raising capital so um as best we can like just creating a space for people to showcase and incentivize them to do new work is yeah i think it's important for sure um, what do we have to look forward to from Ryan Sands other than The Last Thickness so yeah we're going to do This Last Thickness um, and then 
We are kicking around the idea about doing a collected version of it. Um, we printed all three of these issues on the Risograph and, and designed them for that sort of tactile, inky experience. But Michael and I have been talking about maybe doing an actual book, like a hardcover book, with um, a few extra stories. I, I guess it's okay to say because he already verbally agreed to do it, but Johnny Negron has a sequel in mind to his story from book from issue one. So we have this idea to maybe do an actual book with a, a sort of a different print experience, like an offset print book, um, and have one or two extra stories in the back, including the finale to um, Johnny's insane story from issue one. So that, that'll be that. But I mean, realistically, like people have, people have asked us about doing a fourth issue, and we, there are some, definitely some people we still want to work with, but we decided that um, kind of done talking about porno all the time or thinking about it. <laughs> I, my mother is horrified, and I get weird emails now from people who are like, hey, man, I heard you like, are a porn publisher. I'm like, oh, no, no, I'm a zine publisher. I, I don't, I don't want to have that rep forever. So um, I think uh, right now, I'm concurrently to this, I, I'm finalizing a manga translation that's been in the works for a couple of years that got stopped and started multiple times, mostly because of my own schedule and screwing up and being behind on things. But um, there's a new book coming out from Last Gasp later this year. Um, it's a new Suihiro Maro book. It's like a 250-page hardcover called um, The Strange Tale of Panorama Island. And we've just, I think we just finished the pages and are sending them to the printer like this week. So um, that book will be coming out this fall. And then I, I have a series of, um, I mentioned I have a little print shop in my neighborhood. It's literally just like two risographs, a bottle of whiskey, and a table. And uh, I'm looking at printing books for friends and perhaps maybe, I, I'm not quite sure what exactly the format for this will be, but I want to do a series of monographs of some of my friends. So there's a ton of talented cartoonists in the Bay Area even, especially um, there's uh, Sophia Foster Domino. Is, uh, she, she works um, also in tech at Google and is one of the Google doodlers actually. So she's one of like the four or five people who draw all the Google logos for the whole world. <laughs> Um, and she she's one of those people I met her when she I think I met her through same hat when she was in high school maybe that sounds weird but yeah and she's one of those people who, who went to art school and is now working and um, really challenges herself to do more interesting layouts and like it's just one of those people like you it's, it's such a great experience I had that same experience with Nurse Nurse by Katie Skelly and uh that thing where you're just watching someone come into their own and really figure things out in front of you. Um, yeah. And so she, she's one of those cartoonists, I think, very soon people, um, she was in Kush 9 and a few other places, um, Dimensions, the zine edited uh, with a lot of RISD people by Zijun Shen. But, um, so I, I want to do a monograph of books by her. There's another cartoonist that I don't think a lot of people know named Hannah K. Lee, who does a lot of, she does stuff in like the New York New Yorker and New York Times, but um, she hasn't really done many long form zines and comics. And so basically I'm just opening up my print shop to do a series of little books. Um, one artist, no more anthologies for a little while, and just sort of spotlight some of these people and give them yeah. sort of the risograph treatment. So that'll be my goal for the rest of the year. And I, I want to do a third issue of Electric Ant. Um, the theme that I've been kicking around and seems to be resonating with a lot of cartoonist friends is um, the bad dads issue. <laughs> so we uh, first issue was Your First Kiss, second was Exquisite Corpses, and this one is Bad Dads. 
So um, I, without it being too emo or saccharine, like I think uh, that's going to be the arch theme for the next issue of that. So. Brandon likes to refer to a certain style as Mad at Dad. Oh, no. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> we'll see something and it's like, oh, it's Mad at Dad. Yeah, hopefully we'll avoid that. I think uh, uh, with the people that I, with, with our friends, I think it'll be a lot weirder than that. <laughs> <laughs> well, whatever you do, I'm pretty excited. I got to say, like, I still see you as someone that's in a lot of ways still starting and still pretty new and already really showing folks the ropes. Like, you're uh, you're doing good shit. Oh, thanks, man. That's very generous. I really appreciate uh, the comics you make, and I look forward to more. Um, just to remind folks, I've been talking to Ryan Sands. His uh, work that he puts together, I mentioned Electric Ant, Thickness uh, 1, 2, and 3, which will be coming out for Cake uh, yep. just this coming weekend as well as uh, Kush Volume 9, uh, Prison for Bitches, and more to come. Thank you so much, Ryan. Thank you very much, Robin.